Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. In today's episode, we're going to bring you an exclusive glimpse behind the scenes of the recent FIA eSport conference. At last week's virtual event, Motorsport Network President James Allen discussed the subject of motorsport's return and its enormous potential reach with a panel of experts who work in the industry. The panel featured Formula E co-founder and chairman Alejandro Agag, Venturi Formula E team principal Susie Wolf, who is also the founder of the Dare to Be Different initiative that's dedicated to bringing more girls and women into motorsport, Hyundai Motorsport boss Andrea Adamo, Bob Bell, the former CTO of the Renault and Mercedes F1 teams and the founder of gridforgood.org, and Yath Ganga Kumaram, Director of Strategy and Business Development at F1. Here's the full discussion. Welcome to uh, all of you. Alejandro, as you're sitting next to me, I'll, uh, I'll start with you. Thank you for hosting us here, by the way. For, it's my pleasure. Uh, for the last couple yes. of days. It's good to see people in person sometimes. <laughs> I know it feels a bit strange to speak to real people you're not related to, doesn't it? Does. It does, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure we'll, we'll pick our way through this, but obviously you... I mean, the motorsport world, I think when the history gets written, you'll be seen as one of the pioneers of, of, of racing for a purpose with, with the vision that, that you and uh, President Jean Todd had for, for Formula E. And now, of course, what you're doing with Extreme E. But how, how have external perceptions, do you think, evolved over these years? And how careful does the sport need to be in this new post-COVID world? Well, I mean, I don't know if I will re- remember at all in any kind of history. I mean, that's a very big words, but... Um, but uh, yeah, I, feel, I mean, I think perceptions have changed a lot. And I think that is going to have an influence on everything we do or we have to do in the future. If we want to, essentially, we want to survive. So if you look at when we started Formula E in 2011, when we came up with the idea uh, at the dinner with President Jean Todd, when he uh, came up with the idea, actually, um, perceptions and, and kind of the whole... Uh, you know, feeling around the world was not what is today at all. People really didn't care much. Uh, climate change, of course, was already going on because climate change has been going on. The actual uh, event of the climate change has been going on for many, many years and decades, but it wasn't really a, a widespread concern. People, the general, um, you know, the, the mass didn't really care about it as they care now. Uh, electric cars definitely were not in the agenda, except for Elon Musk, which you know keeps 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 staying ahead of the curve. Um, electric cars were not really in the in the agenda, even of the car manufacturers, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, I think we have a pre-COVID and a post-COVID kind of situation. Pre-COVID, already the environment was becoming really really important, and and we could see you know many many people you know focusing on that. Post-COVID, I think is going to accelerate even more 
the need of a purpose. And of course, climate change is one purpose, but there are other purposes. And, uh, you know, uh, we are now, of course, with Extreme embracing very strongly also gender equality. We are going to have races with the concept of mixed doubles uh, that they use in tennis, uh, that puts women and men exactly in parity uh, when it comes to winning the race. Uh, so, you know, there are many different purposes, many different ways to, to make things better. And I think sport has a unique opportunity to push those things. So I think as long as we, you know, we have that in mind, I think we will be, we will be in a good place. You've gone a bit further than that, though, in some of the things you've said recently. You've done quite a lot of, of thought leadership work through this time, which has been very, very helpful for the community. But you recently said that you think purpose is actually part of the new business model for the sport. Maybe you could sort of dig down a little bit into that, what you're thinking there. Well, I think there is no business model uh, if you don't have the purpose. I think uh, that uh, our business model is based on sponsorship. A sponsorship basically means companies associating with your values. Uh, the sponsorship is less and less focused now on number of eyeballs, of number of uh, people watching on TV, because people watch now on many different channels. They watch on social media, they watch online, they watch on demand. So it's not so important how many people watch your sport, or that is less and less a, a currency. The currency is what values you allow that sponsor to associate with. And... Uh, the big corporations now are getting more and more responsible and they're doing it on an honest way. I, am, I always get very upset with people who think they own the environmental fight. Who, are, who is anybody to decide what's greenwashing, for example? Who, why they think they have their authority? If a company like Shell or BP wants to do something for the environment, they're welcome. We shouldn't go like, no, you cannot do it. Only I can do it. I, I disagree with that. So I'm going a bit off, off track here, but... Um, but definitely the purpose is part of the business model and it will be part of the economic survival of our projects if we want to go forward. Well, it looks like, going back to Formula E, it looks like obviously it's cut through. A recent Nielsen survey uh, for the FIA revealed that 75% of motorsport fans believe that the FIA Formula E championship have impacted people's perception of, of electric vehicles worldwide. What are your own thoughts on the impact the championship is making? Well, I, I, that's very good. I didn't know that, um, that, that survey. Uh, that was our hope when we started. So when, when we started the project, we, we did some projections and we said, okay, what would be the perception of our electric cars with a championship or without a championship? And we thought that we could significantly increase the speed of adoption of electric cars with a championship. Six years later, and with you know, hundreds of thousands of people having watched the races, with some research that we've done, we think that definitely Formula E has had an impact on making electric cars closer to mass adoption. Uh, we have had an impact on technology. We went from two cars to one car with the batteries, and uh, we have had a, an impact on perception of electric cars. So how big, how small, that's not the key. The key is that we have done something, because the key is to do not to talk. Many people like to talk. It's just, that's, that's, that's very nice, but you have to do stuff. Well, let's bring in Susie Wolf here, because she's team principal, of course, uh, of one of the teams in uh, the FIA Formula E Championship. Same question to you, really, Susie. How much, obviously, that Nielsen survey is encouraging, but what's your own perception of the way that Formula E has cut through with, with audiences in terms of the impact around electric vehicles? Hi, both of you. Nice to see you again and to talk about motorsport again after such a long break. Um, I think something which Alejandro just touched upon, which is, is really what I believe it's about doing and not talking. It's easy for people to sit on the sidelines and to talk, but to actually do um, and take action is, is much harder. And, you know, I was always very open to Alejandro. I was one of the cynics initially um, when I heard about the Formula E Championship, because for me, the concept of racing in a city center with an electric car was far away. Um, but look where we are six years later electric cars are coming onto the marketplace and the new technology is what's driving the automotive industry forwards and certainly racing in the city centers we're attracting a new younger audience in Formula E. It's a different way of going racing, it's a new platform um, and obviously I'm involved with our, my own team alongside Gildo Pastor in Formula E but I see it going from strength to strength and like Alejandro also touched on earlier it's not just about the racing anymore, it's what we stand for in Formula E. It's the sustainability. It's the story behind what we're trying to do. We're trying to change people's perceptions 
we really drive forward the fact that we want to make this world a better place. We want people to be driving electric cars and motorsport has always been at the forefront of the technolo technological change in the research and development of all the technologies. So I see it creating a big impact. Um, it's still got a long way to go. We've still got to keep pushing, um, but I certainly see it being something very, very positive and something great to be part of. You've done so much for the role of women in motorsport uh, over the years, obviously with uh, founding Dare to Be Different and all the work that you've done to encourage girls basically to, to see it and believe that it can be them too that participate in our sport. You last spoke at, the, uh, at our conference, FIA conference in Geneva, I think it was in 2017. I wonder how much do you feel has been won by the movement since then? Well, you know, I thought I was doing a lot for gender equality and then Alejandro came along <laughs> and created a championship where half the drivers have to be female. So I think he's taken my crown from me <laughs> in terms of gender equality. Um, I think we've made a big, big step forward uh, together with the FIA and the Women in Motorsport Commission. We have seen that we needed to really get into the grassroots level. We had to make sure that we made the sport more accessible, um, that we got interest from the next generation. And that's not just on track, that's one element of motorsports, um, but there's so many more factors around the sport. And when you come to a motorsport race, whether it be at grassroots level or at the top echelons of the sport, there's the drivers on the track, but there's the whole economic, um, let's say life around going racing. And that's where we had to also make sure that we were attracting female talent and making sure that the sport as a whole is more diverse. With the Girls on Track initiative, which is now um, what, what's the joint initiative together, Dare to be Different, is now joined up with the FIA and we're one global organization. And we are now going out and making sure that we're trying to inspire the next generation and making the sport more accessible, not letting it be seen as being more um, male dominated with little opportunity for women. And where we were in 2017, we were starting to get a lot of interest. We were starting to get a lot of people talking. But I think what we've seen now is actions are happening. You know, the Girls on Track Global Initiative, we've had a lot of great events around the Formula E races. We're having impact. Um, you now have a situation where there's a new championship emerging where half of the drivers have to be female. And that's a big statement. But the carry-on effect of that statement means that each team has to make sure they're nurturing young female talent to make sure they have the best female in the car, which cascades all the way down the motorsport ladder. And that's where we start to see real change. So I think we've, we've had great steps forward, but we still need uh, to keep working hard. And it's like, it's getting good people on board that can keep spreading the message and actually taking action and not just talking about it. That's what's going to keep driving it forward in the future. Thank you very much for that, Susie. Let's turn our attention then to Formula One and, and Yath Gangakumaran. Um, Yath, when, when Liberty acquired Formula One, it was pitched very much as an entertainment. Quote, engineered insanity was the catchphrase. Two years later, you rolled out the net zero carbon by 2030 pledge. So how has the thinking evolved? And out of entertainment on purpose, which is the more important from now on? Hi, everyone. Thanks, James. Um, Thank you for having me today. First of all, apologies if you hear any background noise. I'm currently in central London, and to use an English term, uh, it's raining cats and dogs out there. So you might hear a bit of uh, background noise from me. Um, in terms of the question, you know, I think what's important to remember is when we came in as a new management team in 2017, what we needed to do was to set Formula One up to be fit for the 21st century, be fit as a entertainment and media organization. And that meant bringing in the right people, having in the right structures, you know, for the first time ever having a motorsports team headed up by um, legends of the sports uh, in Ross Braun, Pat Simmons, to work with the FI on making our sport more unpredictable, um, more competitive, and setting ourselves up well on the commercial side to ensure we engaged with fans um, in a way that was fit for how people consume content today, but also monetizing um, our rights as well. I think in terms of what's sort of changed since then, regards to our uh, sustainability plan, we actually were working on it for over a year before we actually launched in 2019. So we were looking at this actually from relatively early on from taking over uh, at Formula One. The reason it took a while for us to, to get it out is ultimately because if you're going to 
make a play in this space. We think it's right to do it properly. It's to be. It's right to have a robust plan, to be ambitious um, in our thinking. And also, as many of you who are on this session will know, we have a large number of stakeholders in F1. We're actually a very small part of a much broader ecosystem. So to get all of the different stakeholders on board with what are very ambitious pledges, um, you know, takes time as a process. In terms of the split between entertainment and um, wider purpose, and I think ultimately if we go back to sort of first principles, the whole purpose of F1 initially is around entertaining fans. So we need to ensure we have that front and center of everything we do. That being said, what's really pleasing to see um, in the last several years, and particularly actually in this um, current coronavirus period, is wider societal purpose really coming to the fore. And we think with everything we're trying to do on sustainability that taps into that, Actually, it's a bit of a shame we're not having this conversation in a couple of weeks' time because you will be seeing some pretty major announcements from us more broadly um, around diversity and inclusion, um, which again fits into this wider, how can we make Formula One have a purpose outside of, of entertainment? And you know, I know you've got Bob on and you'll be speaking uh, to Bob more specifically about this, but to give you an example of what else Formula One can do outside of pushing sustainability credentials to improve the automotive industry, pushing diversity and inclusion to reflect the world in which we race. We have this incredible technology and amazing engineers and scientists in F1. If we can apply some of that technology to major humanitarian crises, <clears throat> hopefully we can actually have you know, a small positive impact in terms of other societal issues that the world uh, is dealing with. And obviously Project Pit Lane um, is a fantastic example of, of that in action. It's interesting. Obviously, I mentioned earlier on, we've seen Lewis Hamilton leading the way uh, with support for the Black Lives Matter movement and managing to really stimulate support from motorsport stakeholders, obviously, including yourselves at Formula One, Mercedes and, and many others. What do you think that illustrates about the power of this platform, Formula One, to make a difference? Well, I think we have, I think any organisational person that has millions of people following them, um, you know, we have over 500 million fans around the world, has a duty in many ways um, to highlight um, any imperfections that are, that are innate within uh, their area. And I think what Lewis has done really has helped to hasten some of the change that we want to see within <coughs> Formula One. And as I mentioned, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll start to hear a bit more publicly about what we're going, what we're going to do. Um, you know, I think the days of sports stars being told to stick to their sports, as it were, are over. You've just seen what obviously Rashford's done in the last couple of days. Raheem Sterling, again, keep using a UK example, pushing for more ethnic minority representation on sports boards. Um, obviously, Lewis as well. I think this is going to be a trend that will continue. And ultimately, um, if you want to be on the right side of history, it's important that you are part of that trend and that you have purpose central to, to what you do as an organisation. Thank you very much for that, yeah. Before I move on with the rest of the panel, I've got some questions from the audience uh, to Alejandro and also to Susie. I'm conscious that Susie has to, to leave us uh, at half past the hour. So if you don't mind, I'll just deal with these audience questions first from our ASNs and then we'll move on with the, with the rest of the panel. So the first one uh, is from Enrique um, and it says, for Susie and Alejandro, how do you see Formula One versus Formula E in the future? Um, Susie, you want to answer first or should I go for it? <laughs> I think that one's got your name all over, Alejandro. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I, of course, I get asked this question a lot, and I, I am a massive fan of Formula One. Uh, I've always been. And uh, the dimension of Formula One and Formula E is different, uh, and uh, the, the history, of course, of Formula One. On the other hand, uh, I think electric is going to be the powertrain or the, the way to uh, move cars around in the future. And uh, Formula E has a 25-year-long exclusive license for single-seaters on electric. Uh, so that, for me, is the, puts the condition to some kind of understanding in the future. Uh, how that will happen, I don't know. We have different shareholders, which are, happen to be slightly related by the same top shareholder. Um, so they will probably have to make some, some decisions at that level, but uh, at operating level and I think once electric formula cars are as fast, as performant as combustion uh, formula cars, I don't really see the reason 
to race separately. But, you know, I, I'm guessing that's going to take a while and I may not be around, or well, I maybe be around, but not maybe on my responsibility that I have now. But, you know, uh, nothing imminent, but I think the conditions are there for in the future for some kind of uh, approach. Okay, Susie, anything to add? Yeah, from my perspective, I think the two are very different platforms and both have their place. I think Formula One, like Alejandro touched upon, it has a huge history. It's the fastest racing cars in the world. It's on circuits which have huge heritage within racing. And Formula E, and it's why I was so interested when I first visited the Formula E race, it's a different way of going racing. Alejandro and his team really broke the mold. We are in city centers. We're attracting new audiences. It's not about how fast the car is. It's the fact that it's groundbreaking technology which will take over um, the automotive industry at some point. So I think from that perspective, both have their place very much. Um, what Alejandro touched upon is, will be interesting to follow. You know, Formula E has the rights to electric cars. Is there a place for both in the future? That we'll, that we'll need to see. But right now, I certainly, like Alejandro said, I'm a big Formula One fan, but I'm also a big Formula E fan. And both have their place in the motorsport world. And there's a, one other one for you, Susie, which is um, your thoughts on the W Series. I think the W Series is great because it uh, creates opportunity. You know, there's 20 girls racing, which otherwise probably wouldn't have found the budget to go racing. Unfortunately, our sport is segregated, uh, is not segregated, um, which means if you want to make a career as a racing driver, you need to be talented enough to race against male and female drivers and be at the front to make a, a good career. So there are limitations there. You know, what do you do after W Series? You will have to eventually go in and, and race against men. I think what sits alongside W Series very well is the new initiative from the FIA Girls on Track called Rising Stars. You know, we take the 20 best karting drivers, female obviously, from international karting, they get put through a training camp, they get set, sent to the Ferrari Young Driver Academy, and one gets a full season in Formula 4. And that, that program on the long term creates real opportunity for the up-and-coming young girls in karting, and it also shows girls entering the sport that there are opportunities within karting, because until our sport becomes segregated, as a woman, you need to be good enough in whatever job you do in motorsport because it comes down to your talent. So I think W Series is great for the opportunity it creates for the girls racing, um, but it's not enough um, to change and make the sport more diverse in the long term. Okay, well, let's move on then now to Bob Bell, of course, uh, legendary technical director, a long career in Formula One and a great deal of success, who's now, of course, behind the Grid for Good initiative, which really cuts through with motorsport professionals, giving their time and expertise to accelerate innovation outside of the sport. What are your specific goals, Bob, and how have you been able to help so far? Yeah, well, <clears throat> good day, everybody. It's great to be here uh, and to, uh, to be able to talk about Grid for Good. Um, yeah, I, uh, I long held the view that, uh, that motorsport could offer more to society than simple entertainment, uh, and I finally decided to do something about it <clears throat> at uh, the start of last year uh, when I stood down as the Chief Technical Officer for, for Renault. Um, and set up Grid for Good uh, in a very small way, uh, myself and a, and a couple of colleagues, former colleagues. Um, and um, the intention really was to set up a brokerage uh, that acted between um, problems from the not-for-profit humanitarian sector and potential pro bono solution providers from the, the world of motorsport. Um, so I thought at the time it was a great idea, but it was one that was completely unproven um, so it was a bit of a voyage of, of discovery. Um, so during the course of last year, we undertook uh, a few smallish projects, uh, put our toes in the water, see whether the concept worked. Uh, we helped um, a couple of UK charities uh, revamp their PR and marketing to get them more exposure using um, expertise from F1 PR companies. Um, and we've also uh, been helping uh, a young disabled chap uh, customize his electric wheelchair so he can do a, a Land's End John O'Groats uh, run um, to raise awareness for difficulties that wheelchair users uh, have when using public roads. Um, uh, and then we got into uh, 2020, and of course the COVID-19 crisis happened, uh, and the concept behind Grid for Good sort of exploded 
in a way I never would have imagined. Uh, and Grid for Good uh, became a central part, remains a central part of Project Pit Lane, which has really marshaled engineering and technology uh, providers within the world of Formula One to address uh, the creation and development of, of medical devices to help with this crisis. So, um, yeah, I'm really pleased to report that uh, <laughs> Grid for Good did appear and its concept did appear to work when, uh, when put to the test. Have you gained fresh energy from uh, all that's going on around you? And uh, how do you see it growing from here, uh, going, coming out of the, the COVID crisis? I mean, obviously all that went on with the, your peers amongst the engineering world and the speed of reaction with the ventilator work, for example, and the amount of positive cut through in, in the news media, particularly with the Mercedes initiative, but Red Bull were doing the same thing. Ferrari had big success in, in Italy with their, their contribution as well. What, what did you make of all that and, and where it goes from here? Well, when you talk about energy, I can genuinely say I cannot remember a time when I personally felt more energy when we were doing the initial uh, ventilator work uh, through Project Pit Lane. We, we spent a month to develop uh, a, a new type of ventilator from concept through to pre-production prototype. Uh, we did that in a month uh, with about six teams uh, led by Renault and, and Red Bull. Um, and we were working 24-7, uh, 16, 17, 18 hour days. Uh, and I have never uh, felt the energy and drive and motivation from that group of people to achieve what they achieved in a space of time that was unheard of. Um, normally these devices take two to three years to develop and we did it in a month. Um, and, and it was just such a satisfying feeling. If I could distill that feeling, bottle it and share it with people, I think we could solve an awful lot of the world's problems. What I loved about that story as well is how you had chassis engineers in, and technicians from Renault inside other teams' factories all working together, putting aside the whole kind of issues of secrecy and all the rest of it just uh, in, in the greater course. So fantastic, uh, fantastic work. Thank you for the moment, Bob. Moving on to Andrea then. Uh, obviously, uh, Hyundai, and uh, let's start with, with World Rally Championship. How is WRC rising to the challenge? Um, is hybridization of the sport essential to Hyundai's continued involvement? This is a question that has been raised many times already. And every time I answer in the same way that uh, before a COVID-19 uh, issue, let me say, then I don't know how the world will evolve. I will be motorsport after that because uh, what is automotive in the future has been already clear to everyone. We don't know. But uh, to have uh, world rally cars, uh, much closer to which are the cars that we are seeing mostly on the market is a, a base for every manufacturing motorsport in WRC, of course, to, to remain. And with my colleagues, we were straight to the point that we need a new generation of rally cars that, of course, would have the hybrid component at a reasonable cost and also increase overall the safety of the car themselves. So, to answer straight to your point, I would say yes. Hyundai is launching, has launched its first ever electric race car, the, the Veloster N ETCR. What's, what's the thinking behind that? And, and why is ETCR the right platform for Hyundai in electric? We think that uh, for us uh, to have uh, a touring car, uh, I don't know, I say. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you a call later. <laughs> I have a meeting after, but I think uh, you have all the mobile number in Hyundai people that you need to call already. <laughs> so, uh, basically, I, we think that that's uh, an opportunity for us uh, to, as I uh, said before, to try to understand uh, what might be motorsport. Uh, in an electric world. It's a, an occasion that we had, we made a prototype, we are testing, and uh, I think uh, in a motorsport uh, environment, uh, if a manufacturer wants to be involved, need to know everything. And uh, as has been already said, uh, e-cars may be really the future, and for a motorsport division, uh, e-racing cars should be something that you have uh, some expertise in. So we decided to dedicate a slice of the budget to create a team of people, basically from scratch, I have to say, to build the prototype, follow the development, and we are working on it. I have to say it's, uh, it happens really in the middle of the crisis, so with all the issues that we can imagine, but uh, it's a great challenge, I have to say, and uh, 
also makes me feel a bit younger, no? Because anyhow, I still have a sort of uh, engineering background, even if my problems now are quite different. But uh, I can see that every problem is a different one from whatever I've seen in the past. So it's a, it's a great challenge for everyone. And as a most seasoned motorsport professional, as you say, with an engineering background, all that we've been talking about here today, the idea of sport coming out of this COVID crisis, that the idea of it as a platform for good causes, do you feel that the, the, the needle has moved? Do you, do you feel that that is central to, to the pitch, if you like, for, for motorsport going forward in the broader sense? But listen, I have to say one thing. What I've seen that is a good thing is that uh, there has been a clear link between people that before were usually fight each other to work together and uh, to put aside which are the, all the issues that you may have had uh, in a discussion for regulation or things like this, or tension that you normally have between teams or manufacturers when you are fighting for a world championship, uh, working together and understand which is the common objective that... Uh, of course, in my opinion, for uh, motorsport may also be the signal of uh, restarting again, working together to pass over this uh, terrible moment, uh, keep the polemics aside uh, if there were any, and uh, create a common team uh, to pass over. No? As uh, has been said before in Formula One, uh, the teams were working together for this technology. I think that what I've seen, uh, that could be a great message that, that could pass by. Thank you, Vandra. I like that, uh, that thought. I mean, that's something you and I were talking about bef before we went on air, isn't it? The idea that, you know, there's, we've seen that, you know, Formula One teams that have been fighting each other for years, getting absolutely nowhere, have brought in rule changes, budget cap, a form of handicapping that's going to improve the show, with, and all these other things that are going. Do you feel there's a kind of a sense with all the different series of a, of a coming together and that we should come out of this crisis, you know, with, with this sort of strategy in mind? I think so. I think so. You know, I think uh, what was important in the beginning of the crisis was uh, Jean Todd sent a message very clear to everybody uh, saying we need to think on the future. Motorsport is not going to be the same. So we all need to really reflect on what is possible for the future and make changes. The new deal. The new deal, the new deal, what he spoke about the new deal. And I think that was a very, very important message in the beginning of the crisis where everybody was kind of like looking left and right, kind of lost and was a new deal. And the biggest expression of that is probably what has happened in Formula One. So I think uh, Formula One has done a, a fantastic job uh, in, this, uh, in this period because, you know, to achieve the budget cap, which I think is, it's, it's really important. And, and it's something that, you know, it's been, people have been trying to, to achieve for years and years, and I have to congratulate everyone because it's, it's, it's a great success, uh, to achieve the handicap uh, for the development of the IRA, to, to, to do all these things, it's really understanding the times we live in. And if, they, you, know, if you don't understand the times you live in, then, then you are, you are in risk. So you, know, you have to use the opportunity also. This, is, this has to become an opportunity, but for, for it to be an opportunity, it depends really on, on ourselves, if we want to do the things we need to do or not. No? So I think this, this spirit has really, uh, I think following the leadership of Jean Todt, has really kind of spread over motorsport. And I think, uh, I think, we, I think we are reacting uh, on, on the right direction. And, and examples like the one we were mentioning of working together with, um, for COVID, for the ventilators and so on, are, are one more example of that. Yeah, let's bring Yath in on this. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Formula One, that sort of uh, that idea of consensus to achieve goals. Chase and Ross and your team have obviously been central to that. What's, what's your comment? You know, I think actually when the chips are down, that's often when you see the real character of people. And I think with F1, we've seen that people really can um, throw out, not throw out, but sort of deprioritize um, singular objectives for, you know, the greater good in the sense. You know, I think in many ways that it's just the start and that there is further to go uh, if we're to realize, you know, the pretty ambitious uh, objectives uh, that we've got, not just actually on the sporting side, but commercially in terms of how we're viewed uh, long term. But it does show this is um, possible within a sport that has historically, if we're honest, always liked to sort of uh, do a bit of infighting between, uh, between the characters involved. Uh, Ross was on yesterday with us and he said, you know, it's, it's great. Obviously, he's been around a long time and seen an awful lot of dysfunctional relationship. He's very pleased to see this, this consensus now on, on the rule side. But do you see that? You see that enduring you? You're the director of strategy. So you're pricing 
the continuation of consensus into your future strategy? Um, yeah, you can't you can't uh, assume full consensus on everything. That's for sure. But I think we'll have more of an opportunity to push through uh, the sort of ambitious changes we want to see in the years to come. Yes, I think I think what's happened um, with this period has highlighted that, and actually some of the stuff to be announced in the coming months um, will further strengthen our position to put F1 on a very strong long-term footing. As I meant, thank you. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier on, of course, it's not just about this during this COVID time. I mean, there's been a lot of good causes uh, being layered into motorsport from a messaging point of view. One thinks of the 3,500 Lives campaign from the FIA that's very, very clear within within Formula One and, and Heineken's anti-drink drive messaging in, in Formula E and Formula One as well. Bob, I wonder if you could maybe give us your view on this. How well suited do you feel motorsport is and, and credible uh, as a platform for good causes? I think it's quite unique <clears throat> because first and foremost, it has a huge global footprint. Uh, and if you can't um, push your message out to a large global audience, uh, you're probably not going to go very far. So it has that. And secondly, of course, it has all of the skills necessary to make a real difference. So it is all the engineering science skills, but also all the logistics, marketing, commercial skills. Uh, if we all cooperate um, to do exactly that and, and to affect uh, social change. So, yeah, I think it's really uniquely placed. And, uh, you know, f motorsport is all about overcoming challenges. It's all about dealing with problems. Uh, and it's all about doing it quickly and efficiently. Uh, and yet, in my experience, in general, it's always done with a smile on your face. Um, because that's how you get through the hard times. So uh, I think all of those factors uniquely position the world of motorsport to, uh, to take a lead in this. Um, Andrea, if I come back to you, uh, motorsport obviously has thrived as an entertainment, but also as an incubator of technology for the automotive industry. Is that going to be enough in the future and what should the strategy be? Well, let me say for sure we have to reinforce more and more the both side of entertainment and some technology link as we said before because if we will rely just on one I don't think we will have the possibility to survive in the future so you maybe have to make as has been done somehow for the hybridization of ECA this new technology that uh, can be a bit scaring for most of the people because the young generation, I don't know how much, but uh, my age people, because now I start to be 50, maybe it's looking a bit more in a strange way, these uh, e-vehicles. Instead, if we put together, we can pass uh, good messages that uh, this new technology could be also very nice to see, a big uh, entertainment, and so you can mess the things, and it's good uh, the message that is said before by Alejandro. So you can also bring there more sponsorship to have a common vision and to match the two messages together. This is something that you cannot split, in my opinion. And Bob, what's your thought on this as someone who's been around for a long time and worked for a lot of major manufacturers in Formula One? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, uh, uh, the automotive sector is going to suffer its own challenges moving forward from here. And I think the COVID crisis has brought that sharply into relief. Um, and I think that um, there is a real place for the automotive sector to have a sporting wing, a sporting side. Um, and, and the two can work in harmony to um, help develop technology, but also to promote the activities of, of the automotive parent. Um, I think more and more F1 teams and probably motorsport teams in general are being influenced by CSR policies from their parent. Uh, and this is important and we have to recognize that and we have to react to it. Um, so I think that uh, uh, motorsport can help uh, the automotive sector, not only technically, but also in terms of sending a message uh, and representing them on, on the global stage uh, in, in a good way uh, that benefits society. Now, of course, a, a lot of our audience today are, are ASNs, national sporting federations from around the world, and uh, hundreds of them, in fact, uh, and a unique situation with this, with this e-conference. And, and a lot of interest, of course, always in grassroots motorsports. So we've been talking in this session really about high-level, very visible series. But Alejandro, I mean, 
How important is it that there is a bottom-up approach as well across? It's not just the top-down. Well, you know, this is always a story and the problem. Motorsport is so expensive. Uh, I have been not really on grassroots. I used to have a GP3 team and a GP2 team. So I was kind of in the middle of the ladder or in the higher part of the ladder. But it's very, very difficult to, uh, to find talent because it's the mix always of how does that kid, boy, or also now pushing for girls also, to go through karting and make it to Formula, to a single seater, a Formula 4, for example, because then from, from karting to Formula 4, he needs to find maybe 80,000 euros of budget. And then if he wants to go to GP3, he needs to find half a million of budget. And if he wants to go to GP2, which is now Formula 2, he needs to find 1.5 million euros of budget. So it's, it's very difficult. So we need to find a solution. And I, here's where I see a big role for the federations to uh, use the, the, the money that, you know, we promoters pay them in fees. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I pay, pro, I mean, not me from my pocket, but Formula A pays a few million to federations all over the world, not to the FIA, also to the ASNs, because we pay a lot of money to the ASNs uh, every time we race in a country. They should invest that money on grassroots talent to, to, to really subsidize the career of these kids. So every kid has the opportunity, not only the one that has a wealthy father uh, or mother that can pay for the career, but everyone should be allowed and the federation should subsidize and like this, we will also achieve more integration, more, more uh, racial integration, more female uh, in the racing, and so on and so forth. So I think that's a role for the federations really to, to step in. What about you, Yath? Obviously, you're at the very top of the tree there with Formula One. I mean, to what extent can, can Formula One help with, with some of the grassroots and, and the federations of all the countries that you visit around the world to make sure that this message, this sense of purpose, if you like, runs through racing from, from the top to bottom and from the bottom up? Yeah, we definitely want to get more involved than we have done historically. I think, um, you know, we own Formula 2 and Formula 3. Uh, and actually, if you look at the, the people there, we have much greater diversity than, than you see in Formula 1, but still not what it should, should or could be. Um, we are very keen to get more actively involved in the grassroots size. Um, as I said, sort of insinuated earlier in, in this call, we are working on what we do more generally um, around purpose and you'll be hearing uh, some news in the next couple of weeks, but there's going to be much more to come uh, in the months ahead. And we certainly would love to um, hear more from the ASNs around what they're doing, what more can be done. I think Alejandro's points um, around, you know, investing in local talent, I think particularly talent from underrepresented, traditionally underrepresented backgrounds is a very interesting one. We should see where, there's a lot of money in, in motorsport and we should see where does that, all of that go? Um, is there, you know, a pot that's available for talented drivers who otherwise couldn't afford uh, financially to, to go through the ranks? And also, and then on a systemic level, how do we make karting and then single-seater racing more affordable, full stop? We, don't, we shouldn't have to um, simply uh, put in lots of money to support uh, the current system. Actually, can we look at the system holistically and see if we can make it more affordable generally. Comment here from uh, Carlos Barbosa, the rally department. The FIA is making a very good project called Rally Star to bring young boys and girls into the sport. So I just wanted to drop that into the discussion. We've got about four or five minutes left on this panel before we move to our final case study. So I guess I just want to address the, the elephant in the room, if you like. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the sense of purpose. We've talked a lot about the, the amazing speed of reaction and the good work through the COVID crisis, does the climate change movement pose an existential threat to motorsport? In the eyes of some people, you know, you could see that that would be how they might read it. There's no, I guess, better to start than, than with you. What, what's your own personal thought? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think a climate change movement is a great opportunity for motorsport because uh, forget the extremists of climate change. So if you look at people like Extinction Rebellion and those kind of people, I think the, the role they play is important to raise awareness, but you don't really have to listen to their arguments because their arguments lack scientific kind of, you know, rigor. But if you look at reality, motorsport can play a huge role and electric cars are only one of them, but reducing the impact of combustion, it's huge. There's still a huge amount of gain to be made on combustion engines because we're not gonna be able to have electric cars everywhere. We will be able to have maybe electric cars in Europe, maybe in China, maybe in the United States, 
But what about everywhere else? Mm. You need combustion cars that basically have less emissions. So there is still, and there is a lot of improvement you can do there. So big role in that for motorsport, big role in electric cars for motorsport, big role in raising awareness for motorsport. So motorsport can be a huge actor, positive actor to fight climate change. So we just have to just get on with it. You know what I mean? And, and not listen really to the people who criticize. We, we just should, should basically ignore just the noise and do stuff. And, and then we will have our own, uh, we'll have our own role. And, and I think we have a great opportunity. Same question to Bob. I, I think that, uh, that motorsport has a real role to play in, in climate change. Um, and uh, it's not just um, about uh, moving towards a, an all-electric future. But I think Alejandro's point about the need, continued need for internal combustion engines is very real. Uh, and as uh, some people will know, but certainly not many, you know, Formula One engines are currently the most thermally efficient internal combustion engines on the planet. Um, and the amount of development and effort that has gone in to deliver that uh, has been staggering and it has real implications for um, motoring in general. So I think from a technical point of view, motorsport has a huge contribution to make to uh, sustainability of, of the environment. And I think uh, motorsport will adjust and adapt to continue to be able to do that as, as we move forward. Andrea, your point of view on this? I think we have to adapt to the time and uh, drive as possible uh, some uh, direction and let people use to different kinds of things, as we said before. I, Sometimes I used to say when I was a children, I remember a talk show in TV, in TV where people were smoking, drinking uh, in front of the <laughs> audience. And now if you watch uh, some talk show in some uh, reviewing, uh, it looks like it was ages ago, no? or uh, cars, uh, road cars uh, doing some noises. I think that uh, motorsport has to, as I said before, tell people that a different way of uh, automotive can be also nice to see, entertaining and uh, you can live with this. So we, we, we have in this uh, be ahead as we are doing and give the direction and uh, let the people appreciate uh, what they may have uh, next uh, possibly on the road car. And final word on this to Yath. You know, I'd say every challenge is an opportunity and motorsports can be a catalyst for hastening change in the wider automotive industry. And I think, you know, what we're doing, uh, Bob's already mentioned the hybrid engine, but I think where we can really make a difference is also the development of sustainable fuels that we're working very closely with the FIA's technical team on. And if we can make that over time road relevance, that will have a huge impact in terms of decarbonisation of the automotive industry. But it's only through F1 having this global platform, hundreds of millions of fans, that we'll be able to push that out to the world and hopefully automotive companies will, you know, will see the benefits and, and will jump on, on board. Yeah, it's always been an incubator of technology. And so the cycle continues. Just before we close out, just a quick note, just to clarify, of course, when we're talking about grassroots, uh, we're not, it's not just things like karting and F4. It's all kinds of motorsport. And in fact, the majority of motorsport around the world in a lot of countries is, is things, including things like driving people's own road cars, bringing them to events. So grassroots is a, is a very, very broad thing. So a big, uh, big project to make sure that a sense of purpose runs through absolutely everything there. Well, thank you very much to our panel for what's been a really stimulating and very, very interesting discussions. Great pleasure to have you actually in the studio. It's good to be in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead <laughs> of a, the difference. But thank you to everybody joining by Zoom and, and thank you for your stable connections and your very uh, interesting thoughts. Uh, thank you for that. Well, I hope you enjoyed the panel discussion. Tell us what you think of the show on our various social media channels using the handle at Autosport. We'll be back soon with another edition of the Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. American Giant does things the hard way, but that's because it's the right way. By choosing to manufacture all of its clothes in the United States, American Giant supports local communities and produces the highest quality goods on the market. Ten years ago, they went against the grain and imagined making a hoodie of unbelievable quality locally, one that would hold up for years and get better with each wear. They did just that, and now they have a full range of durable essentials for men and women, including tees, premium sweaters, Cozy sweats, and so much more. The best part? Everything is American-made to the highest standards, supporting hardworking communities, living wages, and safe working conditions. So you can buy your values and fill your closet with long-lasting clothes you can feel great about. Wear your values in the new year. Complete with durable essentials at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off with code NY23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Code NY23. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.